College football is back, and the NFL is not far behind. Back inside the bowels of the Harold Melton Student Center on the campus of Auburn University, it is September 12th, 2022, and this is Too Compact, Too Discourse, Compact Discourse 2.0, whatever you want to call it. Compact Discourse is back. I'm Alex Houston alongside Griggs Blankenberg, host, co-host of the Eagle's Nest and co-host of Smooth Operators here on WGL. That's two sports shows, one all sports-based, the other F1 related. Griggs, how you doing this morning? Doing good, Alex. How about yourself? Just ah, you know. Yeah. It's all right. I woke up way too early this morning, went to bed way too late, the usual stuff, but excited to talk about an insane week of sports in general, an insane week in football. I called my dad after one of the games yesterday and said, there must be something in the water. I don't know what's going on. Saturday was insane. Sunday was as insane as anything. A lot of football to discuss right now. Obviously, I think we're going to start with Auburn and then work our way through that, eventually get to the NFL if we can. Auburn, they survived over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one way of putting it. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest thing. I mean, they were losing at halftime, but, I mean, as Coach Harson said at a press conference, you don't, want to always, you don't really want to say a win's a win, but it's nice to win. I mean, essentially, you don't want to say it's a win's a win, but in, in a case where – I believe it was seven top 25 teams lost on Saturday, including three to unranked opponents. That you don't want to say it, but when Nebraska, Notre Dame, and Texas A&M are paying opposing teams a combined $4.6 million to then lose to that opposing team, you count your blessings. And I think that's what Auburn has to do here, and that's what the Auburn fan base has to do. Look, Auburn has struggled with opponents in the past. They've struggled. At that, like every Most teams have a bad game against a bad team. Mm-hmm. 2015 Alabama only beat Tennessee by five, and that was not a very good Tennessee team. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Auburn is 2015 Alabama. They don't have Derrick Henry coming through that door anytime soon. We know that. But that this happens. It's college football. College football has a lot less rhyme or reason than the NFL normally does. Obviously, this weekend, a little different than normal for the NFL. But I think count your blessings and count a win in the win column right now, a win that they needed because this is going to be an Auburn team that might be fighting for bowl eligibility down the line. And the fact is they need to make a bowl game. Below yep. that is not – I don't think that's acceptable. But no, bowl no. game minimum. Yeah, bowl game minimum. Bowl, if you don't get a bowl game, you don't get a job for next season. That's just the bottom line. That's just how it rolls. Um, when you look at Auburn's stat lines, I'm looking at this right now, I mean – what you have to look at mainly is the. Let's look at the positives first. The positives are they uh, they held San Jose State's leading rusher to 24 yards the entire game. True. That is very good. However, they realized that kind of early and straight away from the run game, almost entirely because their starting quarterback puts up 275 on one of the best defensive lines in the country with a very suspect safety in the the backs room. You, with Sean Clifford coming in, who is very I will admit, very hot and cold as a quarterback. He's about as inconsistent a quarterback as there is in college football. That's true. You don't really want like him to go off because he went off last year. I mean, granted, you know, Jahan Dotson, who's now in the Commanders, very good wide receiver, but still, he's a very good offense. I still believe they're a little bit more pass-heavy than they were in the Saquon years. That's definitely true. So, Auburn's just going to have to figure that out this week in the film room, on the practice field. If they're... They can't be giving up 275 yards to a Mountain West quarterback. What's Sean Clifford going to do against that? I think that's a fair point. I think, one, just watching the game, the two primary points of concern for anybody is the defensive backs and the offensive line. I don't think – I mean, even with quarterback play, 
I mean, Finley and Ashford both played terrible in the first quarter, but Finley bounced back. He started one of five. He finished 12 for 15 the rest of the way. That's pretty solid. Not perfect, but again, solid, consistent quarterback play. But the issues are, again, the defensive backs and the offensive line. And I think I'm more concerned about the offensive line than I am with the defensive backs because I think, in fairness, the defense was pretty vanilla its first two games. I think everybody keeps saying, well, this team was able to shut down Alabama in the Iron Bowl. That's because they were mixing all kinds of blitz packages, and Bryce Young didn't know what was coming at it for half the game. That's what that's what happened. And I didn't. We didn't see that a lot against San Jose State because why? You don't want to show your cards against San Jose State. I think it was a pretty vanilla play calling, and I'm not sure if that's going to be consistent. But again, they're missing Ro- Roger McCreary. I said this throughout the off season. I was on all the Auburn memes hosted Twitter Spaces, arguing with people about it. Everybody told me how much better this team was going to be than last year across the board. And I was like, guys, they may be better at defensive line. They might be equally as good at linebacker. They might be better at quarterback. They might be better at running back. Might be better at wide receiver. But that defensive backfield is definitely not better. And we've seen that they're definitely not better than they were last year. Not close, in my opinion. Not at all. And the offensive line is the same. Minus Nick Brahms, the most experienced guy in line. Now, I don't know if Nick Brahms' injury is what's causing the offensive line problems. I don't think that's the issue. I think it's just a wholesale issue. But I think that those are the two biggest concerns. And the problem is, in the case of both units, that's what they need to survive. And Eric Keesaw, Coach Harson offense, relies on an offensive line that is good enough in pass protection and good enough in the in the in the zone run game, and they don't have that. And then on defense, nowadays your defensive backfield is going to be what makes or breaks your team. As great as a front you can have, offenses get the ball out quicker than they did ten years ago. You're not going to have a lot of seven step drops, guys sitting in the pocket for five seconds. They're going to move the ball quickly, and that's what Mercer did, and that's what San Jose State did. Now again, these are the first two games. It's rusty, sure, whatever. But I think these are the problems that a lot of people are concerned about. And with with fair point, but again, a win's a win. Yeah, I mean, but here's the thing. Another positive that Auburn can take away from this. I mean, if any Auburn fan watched the game this Saturday, I think they can realize that we don't have to talk about quarterback drama this week. I think it's already – I mean, at least that's where my perspective was in the press box this weekend. It's just the way TJ was able to bounce back after that interception. And what they were talking about in the offseason with Robbie – why he was the QB2, ended up being correct. He was very inconsistent as a passer. I mean, he only threw the ball twice. One of them was a completion, I believe, for a few yards, I think, tank, and the other one was a pick. Yeah, I thought I thought the hype surrounding Robbie Ashford after the Mercer game was unwarranted. I mean, mm-hmm. he was 4 for 7. He wasn't 14 for 17. He was 4 for 7. And, I mean, he had one great deep throw, but a lot of guys have a lot have made a lot of great deep throws. Jeremy Johnson had the best arm strength of, of most quarterbacks that have come through Auburn in recent memory. The problem is he had to be accurate, when he threw a slant, it would go 30 feet in the air and end up in the third row. That's just what happened. Another thing with – I mean, the receiving core is just interesting. Also, TJ Fanley only threw for 167 yards, but your leading receiver, Javarius Johnson, only had 41 yards. I think they got the receiving core more involved in the second half, which showed adjustments. Hey, second half adjustments, we love to see it. Something Auburn fans haven't seen in a long time, fair, fair, fairly. But I think that was an issue of just the offensive line was not holding steady as much. And the offense just couldn't get in rhythm in the first half. Once they got in rhythm, I think they got enough people involved. And I think the reality is... Javarius Johnson getting 100 yards on five catches or whatever it was against Mercer is not how this offense is going to operate. It's going to be a 
go to Shanker, go to Bigsby, go to Javarius Johnson, and just sort of go wide receiver by committee. But hey, they didn't drop the ball six times. The thing so. is, the thing is, I want to see. Well, I mean, another thing: Robbie Asher was the leading rusher at Auburn the other day, sixty-one yards. He had that one thirty-yard run that accounted for that. I mean, the reason his passing stats look so good against Mercer, granted he only threw six passes, was he had that fifty-six yard bomb to exactly. Javarius Johnson. But for me, I mean, you're giving the ball tanks Bigsby thirteen times against the Mountain West team. I'm thinking, granted, I don't think they want to use him too too much against these first couple teams. But then I look at people like Jarquez Hunter, who's averaging five and five point one yards per carry. That's a guy who's, especially against Mercer, when I was watching him, he looked like he had much more explosive speed and was able to cut more on that field and get out of those run uh, those tackles really close to him. So, And then Damari Alston looks very good as well. The freshman only had two carries the other day. He made the most of them. He had a 35-yard run, averaging 19 yards a carry. So, But that's that's the same as the Ashford debate, where if it's one 35-yard run, like mm-hmm. it's one 65-yard or 56-yard throw. It's all the same in that in that case. That's why I look more at the average, too. I mean, that's why Jerquiz Hunter, I think they need to give him the ball more. As like, granted, I, Tank's going to get the most project, production. I get that. But you have Jerquiz Hunter, who's also, again, we had Jack Blanton on our show the other day, one of our friends. He, I think we have one of the best running back rooms in the country. When you're giving them the ball a combined 21 times in a game, not maybe going to get the job. Granted, it was a very sloppy game for both offenses. but Well, the 21 times a game in this case, it again, the problem is the offensive line because, one, I think, I think Jarquez might be better in space, but the fact is when he gets hit in the backfield, he has less of a chance to break free than Tank does, and running backs are getting hit in the backfield. Tank had the most broken tackles of anybody in, in college football after week one. And some of those were in the backfield. A lot of those were in space. I think, again, the problem was the fact that they only gave them the ball 21 times because Tank had five carries in the first half for seven yards because the offensive line couldn't do anything. It gets a decent and a well-coached San Jose State defense. Again, I, I talked about and wrote about it, actually, about how Brett Brennan, the head coach of San Jose State, knew Brian Harson. They'd coached against each other before. Brett Brennan actually beat Boise State and Brian Harson in 2020 to win the Mountain West Conference Championship, San Jose State's first. So he knew the system in place, and he knew what he was going to be facing. But I think you're right in the fact that in a perfect world, they'd be able to run the ball and treat their quarterback like Greg McElroy. That's, that's, what, what, that's what the offense wants to do in, in this case, talent-wise. But the problem is they don't have the offensive line to do that. They don't have guys that are going to get picked in the first round on this offensive line. They just don't. There aren't great pieces here. And, I, I, again, I don't know what the issue really is. I don't know why they've consistently – I mean, the offensive line has been a problem for Auburn since 2019, going back to 2018 even. I don't know what the issue is, but it's, what, it's the problem that we're sitting in right now. Yeah, I mean, you got to give these quarterbacks. I mean, a t- I mean, both these guys really aren't the two that were they were talking about. Aren't really true, true pocket passers. They want to get out and move a little bit. Not really the case. But I think this week on Penn State, we're going to see a lot more against what's going to look like against these SEC opponents. I imagine Auburn's going to step it up a lot more because they got to thinking. Okay, we have to get this one again. You said still the mindset is fighting for bowl eligibility, whether it's six and six or seven and five. That's the goal. I mean, we can't I, even talk about Harson keeping a job unless he makes that bowl game. I think I think that's certainly the goal. I think there were again, 
As uh, not not to repeat what I saw over the summer, but a lot of sunshine pumping going on over the summer. Where I heard some people say they expect they were talking themselves into a nine and three season. I don't think this is a nine and three team yet. I think it could become a nine and three team. I think the SEC could shape up to make it a nine and three team because again, I don't think Ole Miss is very good, and I don't think Mississippi State's very good either. But right now, this Penn State game is going to determine how the season goes because if they can't beat Penn State. Who's to say they can? If they can't beat Penn State, they don't stand a chance against Alabama. They don't stand a chance against Georgia. Texas A&M's up in the air right now. We're going to talk about them after the break. Going to general college football. Texas A&M's kind of up in the air, but let's say they can't beat them. They definitely can't beat Arkansas. If they can't beat Penn State, and can they beat LSU? My question. Well, the thing is, I think if it's sound the alarm, if they don't beat Missouri, I think that's the big thing. I think I think you sound the alarm if they can't beat Missouri two, four years ago. But right now, with the way the SEC is, again, if you can't beat Penn State. Auburn has the toughest schedule in college football, again, because they always do. If you can't beat Penn State, who can you beat? Because Penn State does not look very good. Yeah, they definitely don't, especially against that Purdue game. But That Purdue game, I mean, Purdue was trying to give the game away, and Penn State still almost lost. They were trying to give it away. And still... That was one of the – that's what we're talking about, the Sean Clifford inconsistency. Exactly, exactly. I'm just – I agree, yes, if, if, they, if Auburn can't beat Missouri – it's trending more towards a 2012 type season, honestly, based because Missouri looks terrible. Who they lose to this weekend? Missouri lost to Kansas State by like oodles. Exactly, it wasn't close. Let me let me pull it up right now. Missouri lost to Kansas State 40 to 12. Now, I like Kansas State. I like Chris Kleinem. I think it's a good football team, and I think they're building a great program there. Good for them and all. But I don't believe Kansas State is the team to beat people 40 to 12. No. I mean, they only beat South Dakota 34 to nothing. So you're telling me Missouri gave up more points than South Dakota? Obviously, transitive property is not so easily applied. I know that. But I don't think Kansas State is that team. And Missouri looked terrible. Yeah. Even against Louisiana Tech, they didn't really look that great. I mean, they won 52 to 24. But college football is crazy. Louisiana Tech gave them a run for a moment there. It was it was a wild time. Again, I, I don't know. And by run, I mean, again, they. They were able to find holes in an SEC defense that Louisiana Tech should not find holes in, personally. But that's that's Louisiana Tech and Missouri for you. However, it is just about to be 8-15, so we are going to have to head to a quick commercial break. Again, you're listening to Compact Discourse here on WEGL 91.1 FM. I'm Alex Houston alongside Griggs Blankenberg, and we'll be right back to discuss all of the chaos in college football, upsets everywhere, a lot of teams that should be ranked in the top 25 and more right after this. Again, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Back in the WEGL Bradley Bayesden studio. Alex Houston, Griggs Blankenberg. This is Compact Discourse, and what a weekend in college football. Yeah, man, college football is back in full swing. I mean, the thing is also, you have to think about it, week two is usually one of the lesser weeks in college football in that regards, in my eyes at least, along with week 13 as well, the week before the conference championships. It absolutely, it absolutely is, and I even said that to my roommate Sutton we were watching it in our three TV setup in our apartment. It was a very normally week week two just ugh. even even though based on the schedule it looking like week three is going to be that because outside yeah. of Auburn mm-hmm. Penn State 
and Miami and Texas and we'll get to that in a moment. But first, let me just take a run through all of the scores in the top 25 and so on. So, to begin, Miami took down Southern Miss 30-17. to Mario Cristobal gets his second win for the Hurricanes. Ohio State took down Arkansas State 45-12. Arkansas held on to beat South Carolina 44-30. Alabama held on, held on to beat Texas 20-19 in the big noon kickoff. Number 23, Wake Forest and Sean Hartman never skipped a beat like Griggs said over Sam. the break. Sam Hartman, my bad. Uh, winning, defeating Vanderbilt 45-25. NC State with an easy win, 55-3 over Charleston Southern. Utah annihilates Southern Utah, 73-7. Marshall beats Notre Dame, and it was not close as the score says, 26-21. Tennessee holds on in overtime to beat Pitt, 34-27. App State upsets Texas A&M. The number six ranked Aggies go down in College Station. And again, another upset, Washington State. Defeats Wisconsin and Camp Randall. Who had that on their bingo cards? The the Badgers are no longer undefeated and are out of the top 25. UGA with a comfortable only 33-point win over Sanford. I'm surprised they didn't put up more points. Because mm. they scored 49 against Oregon. Number 14, Michigan State with a huge win over Akron. And at number 25, Houston goes down to Texas Tech in double overtime. Kentucky gets its second straight win over Florida. The first time that's happened in 50 years. The number 20 Wildcats defeated the number 12 ranked Gators. Anthony Richardson looked terrible, by the way. Number seven, Oklahoma State with an odd win over Kent State, or Oklahoma, excuse me, over Kent State, 33-3. I don't really know what these low scores are going on in college mm. right now, especially when number 22 Ole Miss defeats Central Arkansas 59-3. Number 11, Oklahoma State, the defense of Derek Mason improved a bit and defeated Arizona State 34-17. USC, everybody's calling them one of the best teams in college football. I don't agree with it, but they did defeat Stanford 41-28. Number four, Michigan defeated Hawaii 56-10. And BYU and Baylor in the night game of the century. BYU wins in overtime. The number 21 Cougars defeated the number nine Bears 26-20. And again, a big game in terms of the unranked. Georgia Southern and Clay Helton go into Lincoln Memorial Stadium, Stadium and defeat Nebraska. Scott Frost era is done 45 to 22, only their second game without the triple option. But Georgia Southern gets the upset. What a weekend. <sighs> I'm out of breath. Had to stretch it there at the end. I, I talked a little fast there at some point or another. Messed and up the, a few names. And, but then hey. the, and then the one you missed, the uh, Furman Paladins putting up 12 against Clemson. They did, didn't they? I, I honestly, okay, yeah. What what happened? What was it? Again, what was in the water this weekend to cause number five Clemson, number two Georgia, number seven, Oklahoma, none of them passed 40 against vastly inferior defense. I'm looking at this right now for this Furman thing, and oh my goodness. I know friends are good at Furman, but I never expected this. Even though, granted, they lost 12, they lost 12 to 35 to Clemson in the fake Death Valley. Yes, my friends who are Clemson fans, that is the truth. Furman's quarterback, I don't even know his name, Tyler Huff, throws for 256 yards, 30 for 39 with a touchdown against Clemson, a team whose defense is their bread and butter. The second game without the Brett Venables era, you're giving up 256 passing yards to an FCS team 30 minutes down the road in Greenville. And, I mean, honestly, Clemson's red zone defense saved them there. Furman had two drives that stalled out less than 10 yards from the, touch, from the end zone. They had two touchdowns that they should have gotten but again, it's Furman, an undersized team. They also own time of possession. This Clemson offense is bad. They're really, 
really bad. Granted, TJ, uh, D, sorry, DJ did have a little bit of a better game than he did the other day. He threw for 231 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick with a 91.2 QBR. But their leading receiver only had 57 yards. Furman's Ryan Miller actually was the leading receiver in that game. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. Furman wins time of possession by nine minutes. What the heck is going on? But yeah, craziness. Let's, let's stick to some of the ones you want to start with. The big one down. Or let's do this first. I have a question for you. Yes. Out of the three, uh, the Wisconsin one, I mean, they're playing in Power 5 team. Out of the upsets between App State and A&M and Marshall and Notre Dame, which do you think has more of an impact on this season going into college football? Uh, App State, I think, by mm-hmm. far. I Me think too. I think Notre Dame, you know, I don't know how much of an impact they were going to have, period. It's the start of the Marcus Freeman era. I was not convinced after the Ohio State game. A lot of people were like, oh, it's Ohio State. It's in Columbus. It's a good team. Whatever. I was not convinced because I don't believe they have a quarterback. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't believe they have a quarterback period on the roster. Agreed. But I think take so take that one away and then Nebraska, that's just chaos mm-hmm. again for a program that was on top of the college ball world twenty years ago. Make no mistake about it, guys. Nebraska was the best team, had the best team ever. They won twenty five straight games and they won the national championship by forty in the nineties. Those them and the Hurricanes in that nineties era were something it was, else. It was unbelievable. And now I mean, look at where they are. Now Georgia Southern's a good football team. I think Clay Helton's a much mm-hmm. better coach than USC gave him credit for. I didn't think he was great at USC. I don't think they're going into Memorial Stadium and beating them though. Maybe with Scott Frost at that point, I mean, I, I wouldn't believe anything, but again, the one score curse of Scott Frost. They win all their one score games last year. That they ended up losing by one score. I think they would have been like ten and two. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, they actually had a um, they had they out, what was it? They had a score advantage. I can, what's the word? They scored more points. They outscored Big Ten's opponents. Is the word I was trying to use. I blanked on that one. Now I think it's right. I think the Washington State game is just a little crazy because they struggled against Idaho last week, and Idaho is not an FBS team, by the way. They they are not. But I, that's gonna make the Big Ten, I believe, East. Uh, Big Ten West, very interesting now. Absolutely. I, I think so. I think so. But, man, what about that Scott Frost game? I think the craziest thing to me is that Clay Helton was the first coach fired last year, and now he comes back to Georgia Southern, teaches them the passing offense, because Georgia Southern's been running the triple option for, like, 40 years now, mm-hmm. by the way. Teaches them that, and in one one day, and basically two weeks, takes down Nebraska. A team that you have no no business losing to, in my opinion. No. Now I love the Sun Belt. Love the Fun Belt. The Fun Belt, maybe. Go Fun Belt. Three big upsets this weekend. I just that's just crazy to me. But again, I think the AM loss is a lot worse. Oh, a hundred percent. And here's why I think that. This is the team that Jimbo Fisher's running out of excuses. He got the number one recruiting class of all of all time. True. Of all time. And you're losing to App State, granted, they were Texas A&M being six in the country, a little bit too high in I my agree. opinion. They could have been maybe ten, a little bit above that early, like early teens. But the thing is, you're losing in Kyle Field. They, people talk about that as one of the greatest college atmospheres in the country. This is where this is the place where Alabama lost last year in the regular season. You're losing to App State, a team whose defense was abysmal versus North Carolina. A and supposed to be. I talked about this with Dana before the show. I'm like, I had Texas, but I'm like, don't be surprised. I'm gonna say App State's gonna cover because here's why: A and M's defense and App State's offense, they're both good. But on the other sides of the ball, A and M offense and App State defense, 
they're both not that good, so it's got to be come down to that other side of the ball. I agree, and I think one thing, first of all, the AP poll in general has been a joke throughout the first uh, few games this year. Texas A&M still being in the top 25 is laughable because, ladies and gentlemen, this game was not nearly as close as the score really indicates mm. because here's the thing I'll say about this. A lot of people keep bringing up, oh, my gosh, App State, the team that beat Michigan. App State's a good Sun Belt team. You can have a lot of confidence in head coach Sean Clark. I do. I think mm-hmm. he's a great coach. They were 9-3 and his first year, 10-4 and last year. They're a good football team. However, what is not debatable is the fact that they gave up 63 points to a North Carolina team a week ago, and Texas A&M mustered seven offensive points. They are a punt return touchdown away from losing by 10. Let's be clear about that. They got a punt return, a kick return touchdown, actually, that kept them in the game. Being from the state of North Carolina, I will say one thing about App State. That is a football school through and through. That's probably one of the only things they got going for them in terms of athletics. But the thing is, they've had they've been really good. I mean, you look at all the graphics, there'll be like best home records will be Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and then they'll th- Oklahoma, and then they'll, they'll throw in and then they'll throw in App State the last five years. Because here's the thing. They've had so much coaching turnover the past ten years. You had Scott Scott Satterfield, who went after there, who went from App State to Louisville. Then you had Eli Drinkowitz for one year at App State and then gets an SEC job. Granted, it's Missouri, but still an SEC job. You have all the their only thing their only downfall has been they've been the most consistent team of the group of five the past five years. The problem is they've never been the best in a singular season, which is why they haven't gotten that group of five New Year's six bid. Exactly, because they've been stuck behind a coastal Carolina, a Cincinnati, and so on. Again, this is a good program. There's no doubt about it. I'm not I'm not denying that. I think and I think in the case of Sean Clark, I think he's the next coach to get a big job somewhere, obviously. As any App State's the coaching pipeline all of a sudden. But with A and M, I mean App State had the ball for 41 and a half minutes. What? How does that happen? They were run- Their top running back had six yards of carry against a SEC defense. The fact of the matter is, teams like this, no matter how well coached they are, they don't have the size to compete with these teams. They shouldn't, did at you, least. Did you see the midnight yell thing, too? That was that was, bad. That was cringe. That was bad. The, 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 the midnight yell, they should stop recording those. That, that, that has not gone well for A&M since who knows how long. It's just... I mean, it's crazy, and it's crazy to think that they're still in the top 25. I'm looking at the AP poll right now. I mean, the only reason I can conceive them still being in the top 25 is because they have Miami. And, hey, guys, top 25 matchup. Same reason Penn State's in the top 25. Penn State came up five spots. Not really sure based on what, personally. I mean, granted, Oregon, they actually earned their spot back. They beat the stuffing out of whoever they were playing. Bo Nix had, like, five touchdowns. But – Surprised we're almost done with this segment. We didn't even really get to talk about Marshall and Notre Dame that much. But we talked about honestly, we'll, we we'll take, keep talking about it after the break. I think, but let, let's do some let's do some flash thoughts on that. Thoughts on the A and the Texas Alabama game as well. That's the biggest game of the weekend. I think Bama still wins even if Quinn Ewers go out goes out because I just can't see that Tex that Alabama team throwing that game too late. Granted, I think Texas made some interesting calls near the end of the game. I was going to get uh, Christian before we called the game at his place, but. I just there's something about that Bama team. I think they're this is gonna help them. Unfortunately, build upon that. They're not gonna have one of these close games, or I think for a little while, until they go to Neyland. So, I think Bama's again, but that's no surprise to us. We know Bama's gonna be one of the best teams in the country. They've been talked about as the greatest team of all time in college football. But now after that game, some questions are starting to come up. And now they're not the number one team in the nation anymore. I think Texas for 
for one part, showed the blueprint to beat Alabama. You put pressure on Bryce Young. You put pressure on this offensive line that is not a lot better, obviously, because Texas was finding ways to get to get in the backfield, and you have a chance there. That's what Auburn did last year. Exactly, exactly, and that that is definitely the blueprint. Still, I think this Alabama team best definitely has weak wide receiving core as well, and Texas showed a lot of heart. I think the offense looked a lot better, but again, I. I mean, I fi- I'm hard pressed to say they don't win with Ewers in just because the fact that they lost barely. They lost by a point. Like it's not like they couldn't have gotten that. I don't know. It's, they got it, stuffed in the red zone too many times. True. They had to settle for field goals way too much against Alabama. So very bad red zone play from Steve Sarkeesian and red zone play calling. But again, it's 8:30, so unfortunately, we're gonna have to take a quick break. But again, we'll be right back after this to do some quick thoughts on the Marshall Notre Dame debacle. I've got some family and friends that are not very happy about that one. And then we'll move on to the NFL and his equally crazy weekend in the National Football League. Again, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Back here in the Bradley Bayston WEGL studio, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. About to move on to the NFL, but we've got to talk about it. Notre Dame 0-2 to start the year. Marcus Freeman 0-3 to start his head coaching career. Only Notre Dame coach ever <sighs> to start. Oh, he's the only coach in the storied history of Notre Dame to start 0-3 against losing that bowl game last year. Then losing though at Ohio State and then losing at home to the Marshall Thundering Herd. And man, oh man, does it do they look terrible? Especially with Brian Kelly getting that win over the weekend. Notre Dame loses to Marshall and it was twenty six to twenty one, but really it was twenty six to fifteen. Griggs, I don't know how much of the game you watched, but what did you see that's just what's going wrong with the Irish? I just can't think they like what we talked about a little bit earlier on. They just can't find a quarterback identity. Ever since like Ian Book not, I, I can't remember. All Notre Dame quarterbacks have just been the same the past couple years. They've just been. They've had like one or two games where they've done good, like i.e. the Clemson game during twenty twenty. Or, yeah, that, that yeah, was twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. But the th- fact of the matter is, this is not the Notre. Everyone was hyping up Notre Dame before this. They were the number eight team in the country when they were number five to start with. Now they're unranked. This is a very. I believe in Marcus Freeman. I've never been like a big Notre Dame fan. Growing up in the South, not being Catholic, so that'll do it. Yeah, that'll do it. The thing is, it's just such a story program with that within the Midwest. They shouldn't. They should be com- competing with recruiting between Michigan, Ohio State, and the teams from the South coming up. The problem is with them, is they're having having to compete now again with the SEC more, and then coaching turmoil, turnover. I like Marcus Freeman. He seems like a good guy, good football coach. I don't know yet. They, I mean, they can't beat Marshall. I don't, didn't expect them to beat Ohio State. I really expected them to beat Marshall. Now coming up this weekend, they have – let's see who they have real quick. They have at they are at home against Cal, and then they go on the road to, uh, to Chapel Hill. And then they have, they're at home versus BYU. So they realistically, they need to go 2-1 and one in that. At least 2-1. and one. I think, you know, I, I call it the Notre Dame problem because I think – the reason Notre Dame was the great power of college football so many years ago is because when college football was so regional, Notre Dame was the one national brand. There was not a there was not a competition there. The SEC was still the Southern Conference, 
if you ask people in Washington State who Bear Bryant was, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you, but they tell you who Notre Dame was, what Notre Dame was. That's the NBC effect. That's like what the people were like, how so many people are Cubs fans because the WGN, it was always on. Exactly. NBC is always on. So that's helped Notre Dame in that regard. Exactly. But the issue is now they're no longer the only national brand. They are not without competition on the national stage. And they have not yet found a coach that can shift around. And again, they also do face very strenuous academic requirements. That's a mm-hmm. hindrance. Oh, yeah. All the coaches have talked about that. Lou Holtz got in trouble because of that. I think Brian Kelly talked about it at some point or another, if I'm not mistaken. If he hasn't, that's why he left. Because the academic hindrances at LSU are, well, they're not Notre Dame, for one thing. The last thing I'll say, we can just push... We can just push this out of the way. Usually around this time of the year, everyone's talking about Notre Dame still for the playoff. Yeah. That's gone. That maybe, hey, the thing is, Notre Dame, they've lost like eight straight New Year's Day Bowls. Now they might not even get one, so they, they don't have to worry they, about they that. They might not. I think Marcus Freeman is the guy. I just think they don't have a quarterback, and this is going to be a rebuilding the year for them. But now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to move on to the NFL. NFL because is king. what a weekend it was, and we're going to get started right here. I'm just going to go down the scores again. We're going to cover them all. So New Orleans, the Saints, with a 16-point comeback to beat the Falcons. Can the Falcons ever hold on to a lead? I don't think so. And then Griggs Panthers, Baker Mayfield, had his revenge right in his grasp, and the Browns took it back away. Jacoby Brissett looking okay, replacing Deshaun Watson. The Browns win 26-24. In a monsoon, the Bears defeated the Niners. In Soldier Field, the Trey Lance era off to a rocky start. Bears win 19-10. Chicago and Cincinnati, nobody wanted to – or not Chicago. Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, nobody wanted to win that game, but the Steelers did in overtime 23-20. The Eagles and the Lions, the Lions come out score 35, but Philadelphia holds on to win 38-35. The AFC South, my oh my, Houston and Indianapolis tie 20-20 in overtime, our first tie of the year in the first week. Of the year. The Miami Dolphins defeated the New England Patriots 20 to 7. Tua Tagovailoa looked pretty good. Mac Jones, not so much. The Baltimore Ravens held on to defeat the New York Jets 24 to 9 in a slugfest. Neither team looked particularly good that day. And then the Washington Commanders, in the first game in franchise history, that's right, franchise history, defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars 28 to 22. It was not pretty, though. The Kansas City Chiefs absolutely annihilated. The Arizona Cardinals, Cliff Kingsbury, not a great start for him and his quarterback that just got a gigantic extension. Pat Mahomes looked as good as he's ever been as the Chiefs won 42-21. The L.A. Chargers in a road game in Los Angeles defeated the Las Vegas Raiders 24-19. Justin Herbert looks as good as ever. And oh boy, Aaron Rodgers with a huge contract extension not looking worth it right now. The Minnesota Vikings defeated the Packers 23-7. That receiving core looked rough. Aaron Rodgers looked rough. And, man, Justin Jefferson might just be one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. And how the heck did this happen? I turn off the TV for a moment, and I go back, and the New York Giants took down the Tennessee Titans 21-20. The Titans might be one of the best teams in the AFC, or were supposed to be, but the Giants got that win. The Brian Dayball era off to a good start. And then last night, Sunday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defeated the Dallas Cowboys 19-3, and Dak Prescott injured his throwing hand. He'll have surgery, according to Jerry Jones. A tough start for the Cowboys and the Bucks, Looking pretty seamless on offense. Julio Jones fitting in just right. Why can't I find the season opener? Oh, here it is. Sorry. The Buffalo Bills absolutely handled the defending Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams in Los Angeles. Josh Allen looks great as the Bills win 31-10. And that is everything going on in the NFL. And again, tonight, 
You've got Seattle versus Denver, the Russell Wilson revenge game. Not sure who cares about that outside of those two cities, but hey, it should be a good broadcast on Monday Night Football. Kickoff set for 7.15 p.m. And that is everything in the NFL. Two minutes. Chaos. Two minutes, 50 seconds. Not bad. I, you know, I, I worried I ran too fast and had to stretch it there for a moment. What a weekend. What a weekend. What a so weekend. So many storylines, and they all lived up to it. Mm-hmm, they really did. I mean, it's hard to pick one to start with just to talk about. I mean, the one that just popped up just made me laugh a little bit. Joe Flacco threw the ball 59 times versus the Ravens at 307 yards, one touchdown, and they had nine points. Who is the Jets coach again? I can't even remember. Uh, uh, Sala. Robert Sala. Well, not saying he should be fired on gra- on grounds for such a thing, but anybody that decides, you know what, I'm going to rely on the arm of 38-year-old Joe Flacco. He's not even that old, is he? I don't even know how old he is. 37. Uh, 30, Dang it. Close. Close enough. Close. Thir- he threw it 58 to- 59 times. Michael Carter was 10 for 10 rushes, 60 yards, 6 yards a carry. Maybe run the ball? Maybe. But- Lord have mercy. But Lamar's wanting that contract extension. He he balled out. I mean, I I, I said neither team looked good. I don't think Baltimore looked that good at all, honestly. No. He looked good, but, I mean, their run offense, 63 yards, that's not going to cut it against better teams in the league because the Jets are not the best run defense in football. And then the Saints and Falcons, that's just the game where I just want both teams and cities to just collapse. My, but, my roommate's a big Falcons fan, and that was – I mean, Marcus Mariota looked good. Sort of. I mean, it's good for Marcus Mariota, but just the Saints just make me mad. Just how they're able to do these things. They'll play like the Falcons. They'll get exposed for their defense. Will get exposed for a period of time versus an inferior quarterback, and then they'll find a way to come back into it. It's just always. It's the same old, same old, same thing in the Drew Brees era. They weren't scoring too, too many points near the end of his career. They had to rely solely on that defense, and then for a team that was way over. I just the thing is they were way over the salary cap. I don't even think that exists anymore. They were in like fifty million. You just choose to pay the luxury tax, you know. It, I know. It's just. I think I think the craziest thing to me is one the Falcons lost again. They lost a sixteen point lead again. Jameis Winston looked horrible for half the game and then suddenly just turned into the Heisman Trophy winner that he is and won that game. And Atlanta, I mean. They had 201 yards on the ground, but they threw it 33 times. I think you got to run the ball more. I think Atlanta has that identity. Run the ball. Cornell Patterson looked really good, by the way, for whatever reason. And Marcus Mariota had that running element. Run that. Abandon the pass game, to be honest. Just you don't have the receivers for it other than Drake London, who looks pretty good. I like Drake London. But abandon the pass game entirely. And then, you know, since I'm sure Daniel's listening, he wasn't happy that you were dunking on his Saints. We're gonna go ahead and dunk on your Panthers. I'll do Griggs. it. For, I'll do it for them. The offensive line, same my old, oh same my. old. They're so bad. I mean, look at. Here's the thing though. Baker Mayfield, when he had time, actually was pretty good. He had that 75 yard pass to uh, Robbie Anderson. Granted, it the coverage got messed up, but still he was able to step up in the pocket and deliver. Same thing with DJ Moore near down the stretch. The fact of the matter is, the thing that <laughs> me off the most, Matt Rule. When he had the thing down near there at the end of the ball, he had the ball down. We went for a touchdown. We didn't go for a touchdown. We were playing for the field goal. We were playing for the one-point lead with, like, a minute 30 left. That's the thing that just grinds my gears. We didn't play for the win. We didn't do any of that. Well, more importantly, maybe it should be the fact that Cleveland had 217 yards on the ground. Yes, that's the main thing, too. It's the same thing with the Panthers' defense every year. They – 
the thing is, they're what they struggle with defensively switches from year to year. Last year was more the pass. This year was more the run. So that's what my opinion is on the matter. I'm done with the Panthers. Just eight straight losses going off of last year's Auburn team with five straight losses to end the season. Just football's not been my greatest thing. Maybe the Panthers should try and give Christian McCaffrey the ball more than 14 times. Another thing I was going to say, but you he's healthy. Why do you not feed him? Well, difficult to say, but a bad start for a Browns team that if they're going to be able to win games without Deshaun Watson, then this might be a dangerous team down the stretch. Of course, they get to play the Falcons. A lot, lot of things to say about Deshaun Watson I won't say right now. The Bears won in that monsoon. Soldier Field looked like the ocean. It's pretty funny. You mean that they're just writing the script for them to move to Arlington Heights now? There's just, I mean, it's just so annoying because they they destroyed the old Soldier Field to then make a crappy stadium, and now they're mad that the stadium that they built is not good. My family says that Soldier Field, like when they did their renovations, it's like a spaceship landed on top. That of, is like, that a, is the a, common historic trend. Archaeological, archaeological. Because the old Soldier Field looked awesome. It may have been lacking in amenities, but instead they just stuck this new horrific stadium on top of it. Now they're mad that it's not good. In the third largest city in the in the NFL, the only team that's actually in the city, it's actually the largest NFL city because the other teams, New York Jets and Giants, aren't in New York, True. and then you have L.A. not in. Los Angeles. And Soldier Field is in downtown Chicago. That's the biggest market for the NFL, technically speaking, for team. It's the smallest stadium in terms of capacity in the NFL. It's it's very laughably bad how bad that stadium has become. It's very It reeks very much of Washington's building a stadium in Maryland and then being like, why is the city of Washington, D.C. mad at me? Why don't they care about our team anymore? Well, yeah, if you if you build the stadium in Maryland, maybe, maybe. Anyway, that's my, that's my rant. But, but you, again, team won though. So hey, look, look. You know, we we count we count our blessings when we can get them, especially in the case of Washington, who has not won a lot of games in recent memory. But I'll count a win here, the first win in Commanders history, starting the new name off right. That they're probably going to end up finishing the year five and eleven as they tend to. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle ninety one point one FM, and we'll be right back after this brief PSA break to finish up our NFL talk and finish up the show. This is Compact Discourse on WEGL 91.1 FM, and this is the NFL discussion. Oh, my. How did the Giants win? I don't understand. Well, they did give the ball to Saquon Barkley 18 times for 164 yards. The Panthers should take notes. They really should. Injured, injured running backs can have a good game once in a while. The Panthers should listen to that. They absolutely can. I mean, Patrick Mahomes looked like Patrick Mahomes. 30 of 39, 360 yards, five touchdowns. Do you think he misses Tyreek Hill? I don't I th- think I so. think he's doing just fine, especially when Travis Kelsey has 121 yards, eight receptions, and one touchdown. I remember when Travis Kelsey was on my fantasy team last year. He was not nearly as consistent. Very, very disappointing. Jonathan Taylor picked up right where he left off, too. 31 carries, 161 yards, and a touchdown. But they still tie the Texans. I would like to congratulate the Colts on getting my- Matt Ryan. You guys really uh, totally replaced Carson Wentz very seamlessly. Love it. 10 out of 10. Very, very happy for you guys. Matt Ryan looked like a dinosaur out there. 32 of 50, 352 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Meanwhile, Davis Mills. Love Davis Mills. Mills Mafia. Absolutely. 240 yards, two touchdowns, but a tie. The AFC South, Lord have mercy. And then, I mean, Green Bay. You know, 
I knew they Minis- were going to take a step back this year, but not to that extent. Minnesota scores first, and then Rodgers on the very first play goes for the rookie Christian Watson, and he drops it. I mean, it was a touchdown, a 80-yard touchdown, and he drops it. And then Rodgers gives LaFleur the look, like bench that guy, and I never want to see him on my field again. I mean, the Packers, the fact of the matter is they're not a good football team. They aren't. They just are not good this year. Their quarterback is not, is not as good as he used to be to be able to carry a bad wide receiving core, and their wide receiving core is terrible. Their and, best guy, Alan Lazard, wasn't even playing. And their leading receiver yesterday was A.J. Dillon. Exactly. They didn't have a left tackle. They didn't have their right tackle. Their defense is not good. It's also coached by Joe Barry, who's not good either, by the way. Just overall, completely, just lack of – I just don't think it's a very good football team this year. I think they're I don't think they're very well coached and I don't think they're very well put together. I think they had their this this is what happens to a lot of teams. You have your window to win and you either go past the salary cap and try and hold on to your window like the Rams are doing or you accept defeat and all your good players leave because you don't have money in the budget. And the Packers had their shot, they lost it and now their players have left and they're here. I think mainly I heard this on a podcast. Be last one when thoughts were have to leave for good class, but here's the thought I had or from a podcast I heard, it's more almost now about the window rather than the win, it the one-win season. Here's the thing. People are saying all the Rams have been giving away their picks left and right for years now. Everyone's like, oh, they're never going to win. Now that they win, oh, they're never going to win again. Who who cares? They just won. Granted, they don't have a first-round pick for the next three or four years, but they well, there's no end goal past winning the Super Bowl. Exactly. It's – a lot of people believe that you could be the Patriots when the Patriots are the anomaly. And the common thread, especially looking throughout history, are teams that won and then never won again. Tampa Bay with John Gruden, Baltimore under Brian Billick, for example, of two. The Rams under, um, who was their coach? Jeff Fisher. No, 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 no. No, the Rams um, under what, this year? No, the guy when they won in the 90s. Why am I forgetting this guy's name? Oh, he just went to the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, um. Wow, this is this is an embarrassing. Um, this is embarrassing. Is it Dick Vermeil? Yes. Yes. Thank that's you, the one. Dick Vermeil. There we go. You got him right. That's that's a one win. Not everybody is going to be, for example, the Patriots of the, of the of this decade, the Niners of the '80s, or even Washington of the '80s, who won three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. That those defy logic. Those if, are the dynasties. Most teams are one wins and they're done. Like, yeah. the Raiders were so sporadic in their wins. They won with, like, four different quarterbacks. I mean, we all can't begin what you said. The Patriots thing just makes it that much more crazy. Like, no one's really had a run like that for that long. It's, like, 20-plus years in NFL Exactly. History. Most teams are the Seahawks with Matt Hasselback. They make it one time. Good for them. You know, they're the Cardinals with Kurt Warner. The Packers. I mean, I mean, yeah, the Packers. The Packers are probably the greatest example of that Because they point. made one. Or, like, you know, that – like, even think about the Favre era, right? They made those two Super Bowls back-to-back, and then they kind of were away for a while. They made it back at the very end and got to the NFC Championship game, but, like, it, not really how it works. One more thing also. In, like, 2017, I think, the Jaguars were in the AFC Championship. Exactly. These window, windows is how it goes. You get a window to a championship, and then you kind of you kind of – normally, if your coach is older, you send him out to pasture, get a new guy, start over. I think teams are starting to think more they'd rather – instead of winning one Super Bowl and then like being mediocre the rest of the way, they'd rather just be above average, make the playoffs most of the years, and then lose. But exactly, I think I think you can honestly. I'm this, I want to point at this example because I know the team, Washington, with the whole Kirk Cousins debacle. It was kind of a, well, what do you want to do? And they decided that their window with Kirk had passed, so they kind of started back at zero, and 
they're about at the same point where they were with Kirk. Again, they haven't gotten any better, and that's a lot of other issues. Yeah. Looks like you got to go, Grace. Yeah, I got to go. Thank you again for Alex for having me. Uh, of course. Eagles Nest, 10 to 12 Thursdays, Smooth Operators, 1 p.m. on Fridays. And thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. That was Griggs Blankenberg, host of the Eagles Nest and Smooth Operators. Eagles Nest Wednesdays at 10. Thursdays at 10. My mistake. Thursdays at 10. And Smooth Operators Friday at 1 p.m. But now, since there's nobody else to combat me, I'm going to use my time to talk about the Washington Commanders because nobody nobody can shut me down for my 30-second TED Talk here. Just kidding. It won't be that long. It might only be 15 seconds. But, hey, Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz and the Carson Wentz roller coaster. This stress is not good for my health, ladies and gentlemen. Auburn football, Washington Commanders football, soon-to-be Auburn basketball. What else I got? I mean, Dallas Mavericks basketball. Luca, the Luca stress, chaos every time that man goes on the basket on the basketball court. But Washington gets a bad win over Jacksonville. They were winning fourteen to three, then started trailing fifteen to fourteen, then twenty-two to fourteen. But then Car- the Carson Wentz roller coaster continues. Look, man, the Terry McLaurin reverse jinx worked. I stand on that hill. Griggs noticed it. My cousin Sam noticed it, and hey, it all it all worked out. But that is going to do it for us here at Compact Discourse. Again, thank you all for joining us for our first sport or second sports show of the year. First one about the NFL. We had a lot of fun for Griggs Blankenberg. I'm Alex Houston. And again, this has been Compact Discourse. We'll be back tomorrow. I won't be here, but program director Logan Hurston will. Then Co-marketing director Adrian Rushing will be hosting on Wednesdays, and Rio, our music director, will be here on Thursdays. Compact Discourse is back, ladies and gentlemen, and we are very, very excited for the content we can be bringing anybody that listens here on WGL FM 91.1. This is Alex Houston from the Harold Melton Student Center, and I'll see you guys all next Monday for some more football talk. Hopefully next weekend is as crazy as this one, but until then, see you next time.